Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 20 of Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure to welcome tonight's guest. You may know him as Dr. Barry Goodman from both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Others may know him as a voice of Caustic from one of the world's most popular video games, Apex Legends, and so many other projects. Mr. J.B. Blanc. J.B., how are you? I'm terribly well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm terribly happy to have you here. That's great. Thank <laughs> you so much. It's nice to, for you to, uh, you know, uh, make this happen for us because we had a, some mishaps here about two weeks back, but you were free we tonight and you gave us 60 minutes of your time. We thank you so very, very much. What have you been My working pleasure. on? What have you been working on? Uh, well, I'm I'm busy doing uh, directing uh, video games these days. Mm-hmm. I direct a lot of video games. Uh, I am returning for season three of Barry. Uh, as Batir, who's uh, Noah Hank's uh, uh, boss, which is really fun because it's one of those shows out there that's kind of got a bit of Breaking Bad and Medical Soul about it. It's dark humor. Uh, and it's a genre I really, really love. And I'm very excited to get involved in that. So, yeah, it's been a busy time. I direct uh, all of Blizzard's games. So Overwatch, um, World of Warcraft, uh, Heroes of the Storm, Diablo, uh, and all everything that Blizzard does. And I'm, I'm also directing Fortnite and sometimes League of Legends. And uh, I get to play characters in all of those as well. I've had a long video game career, which has been great. So it's been very kind to me. Now, do you play them? Who has time to play video games? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I play them, like, I, I dabble for research is what I'll say. It's, I have a very, very crazy busy life now because I'm directing and I still do a lot of voice performance and then still maintain my on-camera career. So. It's like juggling chainsaws, my life, and scheduling is my worst nightmare. So I don't have a lot of time to play games. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love the genre. And most of all, I love the people who work in the genre because they're so enthusiastic and so they love what they do so much that it's just a very fun thing to be involved in. And it's, it's you know, it's transferring now because games want to be movies and movies want to be games. And so the, the, the crossover is becoming quite, uh, quite, 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 uh, you can, you, it's very, very self-evident there. Uh, and now I'm directing performance capture, which is kind of like directing a movie and a play at the same time. So that's been a whole new adventure that I've started doing, which is, is tremendous fun. So people can be tr- transformed like virtually into the game, all the movements. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So during a game, during any video game, you'll have these cinematics where the game control, it, the game takes over the controls and basically shows you a bit of storyline that then keys into the next section of the game. And so it's kind of like, for actors, it's kind of like rehearsing theater. You're in a giant volume. It's a dead space. Um, so because you're recording audio and you've got people in lycra suits. Um, we've talked about motion capture for many years, but this is performance capture where you, you, as well as the lycra suit with the reference points, reference points all over it, you also have a head camera and a camera in your face and bright lights in your face. And so the whole performance is being uh, recorded live and digitized. Uh, and in the early days when I started doing this, you know, I mean, you do a bit and it would 
disappear for months to go to render farms and become a 3D image. Nowadays, they're playing the images while you're on stage, almost live. Wow. So you can actually see yourself in the environment, but you're actually standing on a box and it's supposed to be a ravine and you're playing to a white cross uh, and that's the guy down at the bottom of the ravine and then the other guy is playing to a yellow cross up on the, up on the uh, somewhere else on the volume. Uh, the space is called the volume. Uh, and it's the, the way they made Avatar and all those kind of things. So it, it's it's funny because what you need as an actor is is kind of old theatre techniques from way back, which is, you know, as ancient as the Greeks. Uh, and yet the technology is changing. I mean, the technology can get updated during the course of the development of one game. Sure. Because it's developing so fast. So um, it, it's great, though, because as the technology has gotten better and better and better, the quality of writing, the quality of acting, the quality of directing and, and the animation has had to improve with it. The bar has and been so, raised. Yeah. And so you now these, you know, we always talk about in video games, we talk about an immersive experience and that's what you want from a good TV show or a good, or a good movie. And we're really, really improving on that. Every, every time I work on one of these things, it seems to get better and better. So it's an exciting industry to be involved in. It sounds like it. Well, you've nailed it when you talked about technology change so quick, even sometimes in the middle of a game, um, some of our fellow breaking, breaking bad and better call Saul alum, uh, you know, Michael Mando and far cry. And I mean, that's not that long ago, but look, I mean, it's light years and technology years and, you know, Giancarlo Esposito now and far cry again, Right. And you're looking at the the improvements they've made from that game to the next. It's just absolutely beautiful. I'm, I'm curious to ask you, and I, I don't want to go too deep into video games. I mean, obviously, that's a really big sure. thing, but um, I don't play a lot of games. But one game I play a lot and I swear we've got our money back in spades is Grand Theft Auto five. Um, nice. Now, it, I, I love that game. And and the fact that this, the storylines and here's when you talk about story, like you get so involved in these characters lives. You know, and you follow them, and it's just like you, you don't. Even when you've played the game and you've beat it, it's hard not to. I mean, it's hard to to not skip. I mean, you. I mean, you don't want to skip the cutscenes because there's so much story, right? So it's, yeah, kudos to and the it's writers. A sort of, it's a it's a balance between you know not distracting the player from the game, but also giving them something that's going to be an experience. And I think I do think that you know we've discovered that engagement with the characters improves the user experience when you're when you're you playing the game. If you give a damn about the characters. I think that's exactly the same about uh, with with TV. I mean, part of the beauty of Breaking Bad is that you're with Walter for so long, you know, way be- way before he goes off the edge, and even as he goes off the edge, you still kind of remember why he got into this in the first place, and it's this marvelous manipulation of the audience that you get, where you're like, I hate what he's doing, but I know why he's doing it. And where would I be in that situation? And that's what I was constantly thinking because I was a fan of the show way before I worked on it. Good. You know, that you're constantly thinking, I'm being dragged into this, but I feel for him at the same time. And so I think that connection, you know, my, I think one of the worst crimes when I come out of a film is is I didn't care about the characters. I didn't, they didn't engage me. They didn't, I didn't want to come along on the ride with them. And, and so anything that happened in the film kind of gets negated by that. And, and I think when you're playing a game, which could be 100 hours of gameplay or 70 hours of gameplay, that engagement is going to make that experience much, much better. So the quality of performance has had to improve, and we use these phenomenal actors now. You know, there's no room for uh, for slacking in any department when it comes to video games. Just none. No, that's no. A, that. And, and stepping over onto the directorial side, I've learned that you know, in spades. I mean, as an actor, you get to come in, do your thing, and bugger off. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a different experience because I have my meetings have meetings about whether to have meetings to oh, have geez. meetings. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little zoomed out, to be honest. I can imagine. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to make it easier on you tonight. You know, just oh, to no, go, this is fine. Just this to go backwards breeze. for a second, I would love to see this, but at the same time, I wouldn't because I could see some of your fans crying. You know, so you know, I asked you if you played video games, 
So uh, as I told you off the air, I'm a musician and I thought, well, this goes back years, I thought I was going to challenge a family member to uh, a Guitar Hero game. I thought, well, I can play guitar. I can play Eddie Van Halen riffs. I'm going to kick your ass on, on, on uh, Guitar Hero Van Halen. And, you know, uh, you, you really got me. It's like, da 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 And I, I hit the first note and I went, uh, and it was like basically, like I didn't hit the note, right? I'm like, oh my God, I was so crushed. My ego just went like this. I can imagine yeah. some fan that's playing Apex Legends and there's Caustic right beside him at a machine and playing you and you die the first time you, you touch the ground. <laughs> That'd be so, just so ego crushing. But then again, you like you say, you don't play, so... Uh, yeah, but after like three, uh, 300 or 350 video games, uh, I, I, dying is something that I'm very familiar with. <laughs> In fact, I play a lot of roles where I'm kind of, oh, who's that really interesting guy that we really care about? And oh, he's dead. Oh yeah, he's gone. Oh, well. <laughs> Never mind. Typecast as a guy that dies. Well, before we yeah, jump, I could, I could get the nickname Tutorial and Die. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, before we jump into some really awesome fan questions that are coming in, there's I told you that we're going to be a little surprise couple questions here for you. And if I don't ask them now, I'll forget. Yeah. So our my co-host who's on hiatus right now writing this little TV show called Better Call Saul, uh, Tom Snows, he came up with this thing. What does it smell like in the Gillivers? The Gillivers has a smell, and it could smell like... Um, like uh, um, gas and, and cinnamon, okay? So it smells like this and this. So I'm going to ask you what you think it is. There is a right answer, and then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. So what do you think it smells like in the Gilliverse? It's two things. I think it smells of chemicals and dry dirt. Okay. Both are wrong. wrong. And <laughs> the answer is bacon and fear. Oh, that's good. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Now that's yeah. the right answer. So you can remember that we've had some good ones. We've had smoke and regret and we've had lots of gun lots smoke of and things like that. So because, and this is an honor of you, uh, we don't have a lot of voice actors on the show. Um, but because of you, I come up with one and this is, I have the answers. What does it sound like? And everyone in the chat, you can guess as well too. What does it sound like in the Gilliverse? And here again, it's a two word answer and it sounds like something and something. My goodness me. That's really hard. I feel like I've been really put on the spot there. Mm -hmm. I've, I what really does it put sound like in the universe. Uh, God, that's too hard, Eric. <laughs> I don't know if I can come up with anything. The shitty voice actor I am. Uh, uh, gunshots and bubbling flasks. Okay, I like them both. Wrong. The true answer to that, and we'll, we'll never ask this question again, is anything from Van Halen's Fair Warning album and <laughs> a cold start of a 1968 Chevy Camaro engine. There you go. That's, that's the answer. Okay, that's cool. That's much cooler than my answers, and I feel like I've let the whole side go. It's all good. It's all good. You had no idea this was coming. <laughs> well, a little bit. Anyways, let's jump over to some really cool questions coming in here. There's a super chat from Lisa Love. She says, uh, when you showed Mike around town in Mexico after helping him heal, uh, did you get a sense? that you had to explain that uh, these were real people and there's always another side to the cartel life. Obviously talking character here, but what do you think there? Oh my goodness me. Uh, <laughs> these are, that's a really difficult <laughs> uh, yeah. Listen, I think, I think, um, I, think I'm, I'm, I think he was completely kept away from all of that and he knew the risks that, of the people he was involved with and because he had a legitimate life he had to be very careful about how he covered that. And, you know, he was always very suspicious about getting involved in any of this. And I think, uh, 
you know, his loyalty to, to Gus was uh, on on the condition that he kept himself very much to himself. So I don't know how much involvement with the cartel he had. Um, and and uh, and I think he probably just honorably stuck to the role he was given and understood those rules very carefully. Well, that makes sense. I've heard a lot of people speak really highly of Jonathan Banks. Was it nice working with him? Oh, my goodness me. You can't speak lowly of John, Jonathan Banks. He's, he's literally, I swear to God, and I, you know, people say this a lot, but he, he is literally one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. And he also has a really sardonic sense of humor, very dry sense of humor. And so, you know, I mean, he does things like, you know, you, you're going, you're, you know, you're, you're on set, you, you've got the chairs where you sit, and other people come and sit in the chairs, I don't give a damn. And you come off set and he'll leap up, you know, his 70 year old man or whatever he is and go, Hey, you, you've been working. You should, you should sit down. You should sit, you know, take it easy, man. Um, and, and uh, I remember we were shooting uh, in, for medical school when I was in actually the doctor's office and there was a kid on a bike who just rolled up and he goes, Hey kid, how are you doing? Are you, are you like school and you work hard? Uh, you want to, you want to be in the show? And I was like, what? And he's like, I, I go in and do my scene. I do another bit of the scene. I come out. He's on the phone to Carson. He's going, no, no, he doesn't have a headshot or a resume. There's no, no, there's no agent here. We're just going to get the kid in the show. Okay. I don't care where you do it. I don't care. Right? Wow. And he's done that a number of times. Um, when we were, when we were, we were shooting the scene. It was that, it was uh, the, the chicken feeding scene. Okay. And we, uh, we, we go out to New Mexico it's May. It's supposed to be the desert in New Mex in, in Mexico. And it starts snowing. It's five or six o'clock in the morning. It starts snowing. It's Albuquerque. It's very high. And when I say snowing, it's dumping thick, wet flakes. So Jonathan and I get put on hold. We get put on weather hold. And he's like, you want to go get something to eat? Let's go get something to eat. We'll go get something to eat. So we, we go and we eat. And, and he, you know, he's very interested in my life. And he gives me some counseling on some situations in my life. And it's just amazing. He goes, I want to go see a movie. Let's go see a movie. War Horse. I haven't seen War Horse. Let's go see War Horse. So we end up, I end up in the cinema. Jonathan <laughs> Banks watching War Horse. And halfway through, he leans over to me and he goes, I'm being emotionally manipulated and I love every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> so John's just this, he's just a wonderful human being and, and, and a, a very kind soul and, Man, he's done it all. You know, you've, you've got nothing but to ex his experience to learn from when you work with someone like that. I guess you can't say no when you uh, when Jonathan asks you to go to the movies for sure. You go to the movies. That's right. Yeah, that's fantastic. You that's that's your afternoon set. Yeah. What what a kind soul. What a kind soul for he's sure. He's a lovely fella. Yeah. Lovely fella. That's a pleasure. Uh, here's a question from VZ McCoy. Uh, says doctors take an oath not to do harm. How do you think Doctor Goodman uh, justifies working for someone like Gus? I think you'd find it very difficult to justify it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, people justify all kinds of things when it's in their self-interest. We don't necessarily know whether what the relationship is with Gus, although they are old friends. So I think he, I think he justifies it through his loyalty to Gus and his friendship with Gus. I don't think he's, I think he's aware of how powerful Gus is. I don't know necessarily that he's afraid of him, but he understands what he's involved in and he's going to do what he's told. He also probably feels a sense of protection from Gus being, being that Gus is so powerful. Um, and that leads me on to my next, you know, amazing fellow, Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, we, you know, we still keep in touch. He's a super, super fellow. Um, we had a lovely time working with him. But when he goes into the zone, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes into the zone. When he goes into Gus, he's Gus. And and uh, it's terrifying. Even <laughs> sitting next to him in the back of a car, it's terrifying. Is it? He's, he's a, such a powerful actor. Yeah, he's just... And you know what? Working with actors like Jonathan and, and Giancarlo, it's like playing tennis with someone who's better than you. You up your game. You feel like you're doing better work because of them. And when you're sitting staring at, at Jonathan Banks, you know, w- with a couple of cameras uh, on you, uh, you up your game. You yep. have to up your game because he's that good. And you, he will take you into the scene in a way that you couldn't necessarily get you there yourself, which, which is the privilege of working on, on such high-quality shows like that. I think you might uh, appreciate this in the music world. I look at it as uh, I always try to play with musicians, you know, light years ahead of me because it, it kicks you in the ass and it may be, it may be hard to accept for a moment, you know, but then I'll, next thing you know, it's like you're working, working, working really, really hard. That bar is always shifting, but you're always aiming for it. And I'm sure it's the same in the acting world. Yeah. I, I play guitar too. And, oh. and, and I, once you get over that ego of, wow, I'll never be as good as that. Um, and actually just say, just show me what you did again. Show yeah. Oh, okay, now I get it. Okay. And it's often not as complicated as you were building it up to be. You know, I think we all get to that stage where you're like, I'm kind of stuck and I can't get any further. I'm, I'm a good-ish guitarist, but I'm not like, I'm not breaking through. And I'll always try and find someone, you know, someone better to play with and try and, you know, up the game that way. Because it, it definitely works. We have to do some guitar talk sometime when we can find about seven minutes of spare time that you have between now and 2024. We'll find it. We'll talk some guitar. Yeah, I can imagine. Good luck with that. I'm glad to hear that you play. That's awesome. That's awesome. Here's a question from uh, Mrs. Ignacio Vargo. Says, "What is? I like this question. What is the most challenging voice work you've ever done? Has there been something that's just like, you know, I'm sure some have been easier." Some have been in, in that we always appreciate those ones that come through that are they're easy. Um, the, the hard ones. Is there anyone that really gave you a struggle? Yeah, whenever I'm asked to play a kid, which happens, you know, it's it's, it's often the, the the other extraneous roles, like you're playing so and so in a game or or, or a, uh, in, in an animation, and then they throw you, you know, seven other characters. And when it's a young character, or as good as I have this voice, you know, if I, if you throw me Bane. You know, I look at Bane and I say, well, big, powerful guy, Latino, um, uh, but a very smart guy. And so that's why we came up with this voice that was very powerful, but but was very intelligent at the same time. And and uh, and Caustic is, you know, deeply troubled and has gone through hell and has slight lung damage. And therefore, you know, he's, he's in this very kind of growly place. But when I have to work against that and suddenly be this young guy or. Uh, you know, it, that's when it becomes most challenging, ironically. And then, you know, there are some characters that, you know, you, you, you there aren't, you know, often when you're auditioning for a character, you get a kind of bio of the character and the image, and some of it's just not very well written, and they don't really know what kind of character it is. So you have to do the work to try and match what their expectation is with what you can do. Um, but actually, the hard stuff is the grueling stuff. It's things like doing a Call of Duty where you have to scream for, for two hours solid where it's really going to damage your your instrument, which is what I regard a voice mm-hmm. as. The hardest one I probably... I, I did the voice of the Hulk with a couple of other actors for the Ed Norton movie. And that was... They, they, at one point, they wanted to, us to scream for 12, 13 seconds. A big, long... <laughs> bellow like that. Wow. So I've just crushed anyone's ears. And what happens if you try and do that for 14 seconds, I don't recommend you try this at home, uh, is you black out. And me and a very famous voice actor called Fred Tattershaw, who's played the Hulk for years, we both blacked out during that screen. And fell? Um, and yeah, absolutely went down. I just felt the world closing in because I had no oxygen left in my brain. 
So, you know, there are performances you have to be very dedicated to as an actor, but that's probably one stage too far. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's the, it's the ones that are that are that are physically grueling, and and all video games actually. If you do a four hour video game session as an actor, you're pretty pooped when you come out. If you've given it what you what it needs, mm-hmm. I think people you know sometimes you get asked in interviews. This is my least favorite question: is you know, do you do any legitimate acting? Oh yeah, and it makes me crazy because I've done I've I've been very lucky. I've worked across the range in this business. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing I've ever done is voice acting. And I don't really like to call it voice acting because it is acting. No. Um, it, people think it's doing a voice. And if you're doing a voice, you're not playing a character. You have to, every, even no matter how goofy the voice might be, you you know, you're still, it's still got to be rooted in the truth of a character. And so uh, it, it's a taxing, it's, it's, it's harder, I think, than doing on camera. You have, you have a set, you have props, and you have a costume. They're all helping you to tell the story. If you're just voice acting, if you're just acting with your voice, you have to cry with your voice, smile with your voice, frown with your voice. All that's got to be portrayed, you know, vocally in a sort of little black box with some double screen glass where you're convinced a load of people are talking about what a crappy actor you are on the other side. And actually, they're just ordering lunch. Um, it's a very unnerving situation to be in. And then to find character through that without all the extras and the props and the costumes, that's that's a difficult task. I agree 100% that it's more challenging than traditional acting. And I, I've seen video games where they've had amateurs, um, you know, inexperienced actors, sometimes volunteer actors. And it, you see it right away and you're just like, oh, oh, if, if mm. only, if only, right? If they could have had this yeah. person. Yeah. So I, I get it. And you don't have sometimes. It's like, you know, like you got your Michael Bay explosions and all those kind of things. Sometimes when a scene is kind of, you know, there's not any meat and potatoes here. They'll throw some explosions and, oh, wow, it takes us, it takes us away from home. We're cool. But with, with, with acting and we're only using your voice, there's so much. You, there's no room for air. You know, there really is. It's very naked. It's yeah, very naked. That's it's, a very... it's very, very naked. It's very, it's very exposing. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you can't cover it. You can't, it'll, it'll betray you straight away. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, being a director now, you know, listening to auditions, it's very, very clear when someone connects with the material and when someone is just kind of skimming it and hasn't really thought about what they're doing. Um, so it takes, a, it takes a lot more thought to go into it, to, 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 to get a character to feel, you know, three-dimensional and something that people can relate to. Not only that, People's love affair with video games runs very, very deep. Yes. And if you betray those characters, Ooh. you know, if you betray those those franchises, you're in a lot of troll trouble. Yes. And they will they will let you know. You almost have to go into uh, <laughs> you almost have to go into voice relocation programs. <laughs> Change your voice yeah. completely. When, yeah. When I when I when I get lots of messages about, you know, why the servers aren't running on properly on Apex Legends, I'm like, I'm just the actor. I really don't <laughs> the service i'm so sorry yeah i wish your experience was better yeah i will give a call to respawn and see if they can do something about it but yeah it is much i can do did you try rebooting you know, yeah exactly <laughs> you try playing again. the um the uh the, uh, the uh, that's most apparent in in the stuff that blizzard does you know world of warcraft is i've been doing voices on world of warcraft for 15 16 years wow i've been directing it for the last six or seven years eight years um that the loyalty of that fandom don't screw it up because they will they will go right for the jugular. Yeah, uh, and they're right to you know it's something that's been with them through their their, their entire childhood. You know this is this is something that's a very important part of people's lives. 
Well, that uh, you nailed it right on the head there. It's speaking of the, you know being fans of something since childhood, uh, I'm sure you're a big fan of Star Wars. I, I'm I'm a diehard fan of Star Wars. I saw the first Star Wars with my dad in a movie theater. I remember seeing that? It was didn't I don't have a lot of memories of my dad, but I remember that. That was awesome. You know, coming out to see Star Wars, and I'm a huge fan of um, you know multi genre actor Mark Hamill. I love Mark Hamill. I, like Harrison Ford went on to greatness in, in film, TV, and things like that. Mark Hamill, not so much as far as that, but video games. I mean, he he owned it and i love his contributions to batman uh another yeah, you know homage phenomenal. to you now was mark hamill ever uh he's considerably older than you was was he ever an inspiration to you or is it someone that you look up to at all in, in the in the work absolutely 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 i mean first of all I, I saw star wars i was eight nice in 1977 uh it blew my mind and luke skywalker was my hero forever and han solo was my hero forever um and, you know, I went through all the crushing disappointments of the, the second set and the redemption of the third. And uh, the, Mon- uh, the, the the Mandalorian, I think, is one of the, one of the best tributes to Star Wars and, and, and one of the most evocative of the Star Wars world. And I'm fascinated by the way it was shot because it was shot kind of like motion capture in a yeah. volume with these, early, with these LED screens. And, and so that's, that's kind of fascinating. Uh, I've run into Mark a number of times, uh, and I'm very lucky to have run into. I've worked with him a few times, and I've, and I've run into him in studios all the time. He's the best raconteur I've ever heard. He just has stories galore and never tires of telling them. So, if you're any kind of Star Wars geek, you know you're just like, <laughs> what? tell me this, tell me that, tell me the other, and he will hold forth and, and tell you. Now, I once arrived at a session that he was the actor previous, and my session didn't start for two hours because we all just sat like this, just listening to Mark tell stories, because it was just, it was brilliant. Um, he's, you know, what he did as, as the Joker couldn't be further away from Luke Skywalker. And, you know, that kind of manipulative, maniacal, anger-based humor, it was was kind of unique, you know. Um, and and then on the game that, that, that the main Batman game that I worked on, was, was which was Arkham Origins, Roger Craig Smith and, and Troy Baker were asked to play the younger versions of Kevin Conroy and uh, Mark Hamill. And, and Troy got a lot of, well, he just sounds like Mark Hamill. That's what the remit was to sound like Mark Hamill. And he did a phenomenal job of capturing that uh, with a younger kind of dynamism. Um, so Mark, I mean, Mark's, Mark's is a one of those legacy voiceover actors. He, he, you know, his stuff will never die. His approach to character is detailed and committed, and he makes brave, brave choices. And that's something I think you you just can't help but admire uh, as as you know one of that group of people that gets to work with him. That's I feel incredibly privileged. That's awesome, and I see him on on social media, really interacting with his fans. I mean, he's got millions of followers. I know it's tough to reply to everybody. He doesn't reply to everybody, but he does his best. And you're like that as well too. I see you, you know, retweeting people and sharing things. Like you're you're both very connected with your fans. Obviously, the fans, you know, it, it, they make you what you are, you know, and they have that base. And you know, it's nice to interact, but it's very very cool to see, you know, our heroes growing up, you know, uh, giving back to their fans and and letting them know they're appreciated and things like that. I think it's really important. And also, you know, at no time in history have we had the means to do that I like know. we have now. And, you know, the, so the, the floodgates are open and you actually can. You know, I'm, and I'm really not very good at social media. Um, the, the, the Apex Legends cast, I'm one of the older ones. <laughs> I've become one of the older statesmen now, which mm-hmm. seems crazy after 30 years in the business. Um, but they're all very savvy on that stuff. And they were doing it. There was going to be a live signing on, on uh, Streamily. And I, I mean, that just sounded like Dutch to me. <laughs> And, and, and I was like, well, what do I have to do? And they said, oh, it's really easy. You go and you register and you set up your accounts and you open your store and then you get on your artwork. You put your own layout. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not, hold on, hold the front page. Yeah. 
And then we did this thing, and actually it was remarkably simple. And it was great because, I mean, the chats go go by so fast, you can barely keep pace, but you could engage with certain questions. And there's a real connection there that, that, that was never there when I was a kid. You know, your heroes were just these distant kind of... I know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm anyone's heroes, but, 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 oh, I think but you to are. be able to interact. And then the gratitude that just by reaching out to a fan or sending them something signed, it's overwhelming. And, and the other thing I've learned about video gaming as well is that, you know, for a lot of, I have, I have a, a daughter who's on the spectrum and, you know, a lot of these kids are, have not found any other way to communicate except with their peers through gaming. And when you go to conventions and, you know, what we do is, is in a little black box in a studio in Burbank, and it's very hard to sort of see the end result or, or how that touches people, but military vets, Kids who uh, have learning disabilities or, or communication uh, disabilities or disadvantages, they stand in front of you and weep uh, because you have given them, without knowing it, a means to, to communicate and reach to the world. And that just, every time it happens, and it happens a lot, I'm just blown away. It's, it's, it's something I never really expected. You know, first of all, I never knew I was going to do any voices in anything when I arrived in Los Angeles. I'd done a movie called The Cannibal and Cristo. I was looking to carry on that. 9-11 happened. Everything changed. And they voiceover, voiceover in video games was just beginning to really take off. It's like 2001. And uh, everyone remembers where 9-11 was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I sort of fell into it. And, and I, I never imagined that, that, that it would involve that kind of connection with an audience that I didn't even know existed, you know, at the time. Boy, do I do. I know I know they exist now. And I engage with them as, as much as I possibly can because they're, they, they're some, of, some of the most wonderful people in the world. And they, they're really committed to the stuff that you do. Yeah. You know? Well, when you, and I were, when you and I were kids, I mean, like our favorite artists, like let's say Led, Led Zeppelin back in the day, the only way you'd know that they yeah. did something wrong is, uh, you know, uh, you know, lead singer uh, caught indecent exposure or something in a, in a paper. And we had to wait for the paper <laughs> to come out. Now we know yeah. what they had for dinner, you know, where they and supper. Exactly. And, oh, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a double-edged yeah. sword. It can be really, really good and it can be bad at the same time. But at least it, there is a vehicle for um, artists to give back, which is nice. Yeah, but yeah. I, you know, it's like anything in life. If you behave irresponsibly and stupidly, you're going to get caught. That's and, right. Uh, so con conduct yourself reasonably. That's, That's right. I, I agree, hundred uh, percent. Here is a question from, or it's uh, from, slightly, slightly unreasonably. That's acceptable. Yeah, that's acceptable. I conduct myself slightly unreasonably. Yeah, we got to let her hair down a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, this is another uh, super chat question from Lisa Love. Now she's referring to your character, and she says, "When Gus uh, had you looking over to Tio and his health progress, or looking, yeah, looking over Tio and his health progress, uh, do you feel your character started to really understand and appreciate Gus's revenge and the lengths he was willing to go? For example, sending in a doctor from Hopkins, John Hopkins." Man, you guys go deep. They do. They do. The Gilliverse fam is great. Yeah, I. Uh, yes, I do. I, I mean, I think yes. I think I think I was. Uh, I, I felt a sense that he was involved on a much deeper level than he previously had been, and therefore, and particularly the way that Gus was acting around it, that Gus was was seriously enraged, and I hadn't. You know, I think if you if you if you have a friendship with someone, and over that friendship, you will learn their, the parameters of their emotional range. To see him in that way and to see him turn on me and say, I'll deal with it the way I want to deal with it was kind of terrifying. And, and, and it did, I think, put, put the, the good doctor in, a, in, a, in a quite a different position. I think he was suddenly involved quite deeply 
in something that he hadn't necessarily anticipated previously. Although I think he's, you know, he spent a lot of time tidying up the mess. Mm -hmm. This was a, this was a major mess. This was, this was something that was, you know, an assault on Gus's, uh, uh, you know, authority and, and, uh, or rather, you know, a, a, a catalyst to him seizing that authority. Which was put him put him in a, the doctor in a very very interesting position. Uh, I feel like he's you know they have this kind of friendship and yet he still has to be very very careful about how he how he treads around Gus. Yeah, Gus is such a such a phenomenal power. Both both your character and we talked about Jonathan earlier. So Mike Ermintrout, the the couple I would dare to say. Well, we'll say those two for sure. I can think of others maybe, but that can get away with, you know, I, I mean, Mike, Mike will give Gus a little bit of uh, grief and guff, so to speak. Like, you know, he, he can, you know, when he's talking about getting, uh, letting uh, Nacho go, like he wants to get out, you, yeah. know, you know, he wants to get, so he's, yeah. he's overstepping his bounds a little bit, but he really, really has earned it. And even Gus a couple of times has said, you know, choose your next words carefully, but there's still, there's no chance Gus is going to get whacked by, or sorry, Mike's going to get whacked by Gus. And your character doesn't go as deep off the side uh, that uh, Mike does, but there's still a good respect. There's not a lot of that from from Gus, that, you know, those the way those characters get away with, with it. There's, there's very few people that can stand up to him, I think. And, and Mike, I think, will stand up to anyone, and that's who Mike is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also incredibly astute, and he will, he will know where the line is. Uh, I think... You know, because I think because our relationship clearly started on the basis of friendship, I think probably before any of this kicked off, um, that I think they go back a long way. I think they go back to sort of, you know, late teenhood at least. Um, I think I I could stand up to him, but I'd be, if if the hand came up, I would back down. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, I, my nudging of him is, is what, for what I feel is his benefit. And... Um, no one tells Gus what's to his benefit. He decides. Yeah, he so he doesn't surround himself with yes men, does he? No, Not he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. And he'll listen to opinion. Mm-hmm. But that was what was different about this was that he was so inflamed. He was so he, he was so in such a high tense state that I think in that scene I I, I, I had to read him and just say yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're clearly not going to pay down from this, and I don't want to jeopardize that. You know, I don't want to jeopardize, jeopardize that relationship. But it is that still at the same time showing no weakness, no fear, because you know, like you, uh, an animal smells fear, and they attack you, right? And I think if if uh, any character, any uh, you know, uh, if any character showed fear to Gus Fring, you're either gone or you know, and then now you're a witness to his organization, yeah. and you're you're in a barrel. And I think clearly he has, you know, he has a certain amount of status because. From a professional perspective, Gus does need him. Yeah, you, you know he needs he needs a crooked dog. He needs someone who's going to get him in the facility where where we can treat someone without any questions being asked. And so there is a certain amount of, of power, uh, and that coupled with the friendship and the fact that he knows Gus will listen to him, but he won't necessarily do what he what he wants him to do. Uh, that that was a very special connection, and you know incredibly frustrating because I got very few opportunities really to explore that. You know, it was, it was I was constantly like. Come on, put me in another episode. Please yes. give me another. Give me another little bit to just. There was so little involvement, and in, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for any involvement at all. But it, you know, when you've got a character that's coming, and you, you people are writing to you about it, and you just think mm-hmm. there's more in there. There's more a little in there. Sparring match, there, a little bit back and forth, right? A little, yeah. You know, you're onto something good when you, you know, you, you, you're, as an actor, you just want to play it more. You just want to play it more. Yeah. Give me more gas. Give me more gas. 
Um, I'm going to jump over to the audio questions we've got. We've got, and you kind of touched base on one of them. We were talking earlier about Barry. So from one of our, one of our um, moderators, and uh, this is from Karina. She's going to ask you a question about a Barry, I believe. And then we've got a follow-up okay. question from Lori coming up. So here are some audio questions right now. Hi, JB. This is Karina. You had quite the big entrance as Batir on the HBO series Barry at the end of season two. Since the show is supposedly getting a third and fourth season, will we be seeing more of you and not just your voice? Can you say? I think it's safe to say your character will be a major badass. So, yeah, you touched base a little bit on that. So, yeah. Thanks, Karina. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> Batir was the grin that changed the world. No. Yeah, I just got to, I basically got to show up and, and grin and laugh, uh, but it was a, it was a great entrance. And then, you know, then I didn't hear anything. Then it was very quiet. And then I heard that season three was going to happen. We did the table read for the first two episodes in which I was involved. And I cannot say anything about it. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. Um, but we did the table read. And I think two days later, everything shut down. And so I then, you know, a lot can change. Yeah. A lot of rewrites can happen. Bill and Alec could have just gone, taken that and just gone in a completely different direction. I don't think they knew what restrictions we'd have to shoot under. Um, the restrictions have involved, you know, lesser numbers of cast. Um, I've been directing performance capture. We were very strictly governed by SAG on what we, how many actors we could use, how many people we had on the stage, what the protocols were. I was tested every two days with the brain tickler up the nose testing. I must have had 50 of them. Oh, It's deeply unpleasant. So um, that was very frustrating. And then it was kind of sit and wait. And then I sort of got a notice from casting. We're like, well, if the character survives, we're planning to start shooting on X, Y, and Z. And I was like, if the character survives? God, I just arrived. <laughs> um, so I, I maybe, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> They're going to dress me up in the same clothes and I'm going to get shot in the head. So, you know, with shows like these and with shows like, especially like Breaking Bad and Medical Soul, you know how tight-lipped Aaron and Brian had to be. Oh, geez. You know, that people, years and years of questions of what's going to happen and everyone wants to know, we can't say. No. I mean, it would be the end of my career. Yeah. So I will tell you, I hope there's yep. involvement. Um, I know there's early involvement. I will be able to tell you that. Um, how that manifests itself or what happens in the story, I, I, have, I actually have no idea. Um, but uh, involvement is all I can really say. So I'm sorry I can't answer that more deeply. That's okay. Correct. No, that's okay. We, we get it. I mean, a lot of times there's NDAs involved and all that kind of good stuff. We all know what it's like for sure. It's it's And sometimes, sometimes the actors are even kind of out of the loop. I know... Uh, no, oh, yeah, absolutely. Having both Ray Seahorn and Patrick Fabian on the show before, and, and Tom was talking about this as well too, they're texting each other back and forth that, you know, I'm still, they get the script, I'm still alive, are you alive? You know, this kind of thing, right? They don't know until sometimes the day of, they're receiving the scripts exactly that exactly that yeah and and you know that's tremendously exciting and kind of nerve-wracking too um so yeah i know i know we start shooting soon mm -hmm. and uh and and that's that's really all i do know and i honestly i don't know how this how the character develops through the season so it's it's anyone's i could be i don't know i could be dead i could be dead after the episode too i don't know well, the thing we'll is, see. you're you're a fan like we are right so i mean it's got to be exciting for you too you don't necessarily want the spoiler no. And also, whatever's best for the story, whatever keeps people engaged and whatever works best for the show. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm fairly ego free on that. It's 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 really what's whatever's going to time out best and work best for the show. I'm down. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I still get the, the biggest kick is being involved. At all. It's, it's an honor. 
you know, well, I've had I've had some really been involved with some really great shows. So that's that's enough for me. I'm delighted. Well, that's fantastic. And and sometimes people just shake their heads like, why would this actor go up to the director or the uh, whoever and say, I want the character, my character needs to be killed off. Now either they're getting a better gig somewhere else, or they really think it does benefit the story. You know, yeah. we talk about Star Wars, yeah. Harrison Ford, right? Wanting to kill off, uh, you know, Han Solo and it actually you yeah. know, sad, but I mean, it, it had, it had some purpose, didn't it? Yeah. And then of course, Aaron was due to be killed off. Yes. Right at the very beginning. I of know. Red, I believe. Yeah. And they went, well, and wait, no, this guy, no one says bitch like this guy. We've got to have him. <laughs> we can't get another <laughs> person to say bitch. I know. All right. Let me jump over to a question. Another audio. This is our last audio question for the evening. This is from Lori. She usually has some deep questions, so I, I didn't get a chance to listen to this one fully. I'm terrified so. of the deep questions. I know. I never get deep questions like this in video game interviews. This is mm-hmm. terrifying. Never going to do my show again. Hi there, JP. <laughs> this is Lori. I'm more self-conscious of my own voice tonight, speaking to such a great voice actor, but here we go. How does one get a job teaching drama at a prison, and what was that experience like? Also, <laughs> how did the name John White come about, and how long was it used? Thanks very much. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> John White was a pseudonym that I used for project for different kinds of projects. Um, I can't really say much about that, but uh, in the early days of trying to get into the union and, try, and and being union eligible, I was still doing non-union work, so I used it as a non-union name. Um, but that was you know, obviously as soon as I got into the union, that changed. Um, and then, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I was you know I was uh, I, I left Rada in uh, like 1990, yes, I'm really old. And uh, there wasn't much work around and I had lots of different jobs like most actors. I, had, I, I, I worked in a cheese shop, I sold rugs on a market. I used to clear British telecom telephone lines of trees. Oh, geez. Did that for a while. Um, I did a lot of manual labor. I worked a lot of bars and pubs. Uh, I managed a restaurant. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine was teaching sociology at Wandsworth Prison. And, uh, and we were roommates, in fact. We moved into my place through another friend. And he said, they're looking for a drama teacher. I think you'd be great. And so I went in and interviewed with them. And uh, they, based on the experience I had and based on what I was doing, um, they, they, they got me in. Then you have to go through this very rigorous, you know, vetting process to work because it's a government job and it's a dangerous job. And it was a dangerous job. I did it for about a year and uh, it got a little hairy. And um, Wandsworth Prison was particularly uh, a very max- a high maximum security prison. And it had a lot of remand prisoners, which are prisoners who are just put away to, to wait for their trials. And they were the most, the lifers, the guys who'd done the serious stuff, the guys who were in there for life, they were a dream. They mm. were very, very easy. It was, the, it was the remand prisoners who really didn't give a damn and were sort of doing education just to get out of the cell. Um, they were the ones that were dangerous. And, and I got jumped a couple of times and it was, it was the, and I was armed with a whistle. That's mm. all I had. And if I blew that whistle, the walls came alive and, and the guards came out. Uh, but but the two times I was jumped, it was lifers who protected me. Um, there's no there was no prison guard in the room with me. Um, the and I learned a lot doing it um, on the main wing. I trucked on the main wing and I taught on the vulnerable prisoner unit. The vulnerable prisoner unit is for sex offenders mm-hmm. and people who have um, done bad deals in prison and whose lives are in danger. And on the main wing, we would do theater games. We'd do, you know, the kind of stuff you do you see on Whose Line Is It Anyway. Um, basic drama stuff, getting these guys to just sort of open up and improvise and, and experience things. On the main wing, on the on the vulnerable, that was on the main wing, on the vulnerable prisoner unit wing, it was by and large middle-class, well-educated people 
which is was kind of terrifying. And I couldn't really deal with the fact because I find, you know, it's very hard. Yes, I believe in rehabilitation, but working with people who've done those kinds of things, I found very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just just morally and, and consciously, uh, it was. I met some very deeply troubled people, and I think often the prison system has to take on people that really shouldn't be in the prison system that should be in in catered proper med- mental health facilities that uh, you know governments have been closing for years, both here and in England, which is you know why we have so many problems. I think there. Wow, that got deep and sociologically political, didn't it? <laughs> Did you, have you taken any of that? Because, I mean, that is a dark time in some ways for you. Um, have you taken any of that into some of your work? If there's a, a character- I've, taken, uh, I've taken buying cigarettes at 16 in a store into my work. Everything everything you do as an actor has to go into your work. You can't help it. I mean, I think, I think once you decide to be an actor, you just look at the world in a different way and you start absorbing things in a different way. And so, yes, absolutely, it's all come in handy. Um, and, you know, the experience is, is a crazy experience. Before you start working there, they take you into a room and they show you all the drugs and weapons that they found in the, in the prison in the last month. And they are not inconsiderable. And uh, the prisoners can make a weapon out of soap. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. And, um, and so it's very sobering. It's very, it's very, very sobering. And then also you hear stories that could have been me. Mm-hmm. One, two bad decisions, got in with the wrong crowd, boom, done. And his life's over. Yeah. And it's very hard not to empathize with someone who's, who's, you know, been accused of something that they didn't do or, you know, just for a couple of bad decisions ended up with the wrong crowd. And that brings us right back into the subject of this interview, which is, you know, that's exactly what happens to him. That's right. We, I mean, we'll, we'll use a Better Call Saul reference right now. Bad choice road, right? You just take one, one turn off one time in your life. Yeah, you might just Desperate. be a passenger. You might just be the passenger. But Absolutely, you're associated, and, and the prisons are full of those people. The prisons yeah. are full of those people. You're associated. You know, I was I was asked to deliver a car from one place to another, happened to be packed with drugs. Yeah, I I honestly didn't know, and my life is over. I lost everything, and it's it's hard not to sympathize with someone like that. I agree. You know? I, I think the world needs more empathy yeah. and understanding. And yeah. uh, I, I many times in that prison, I thought, wow, that could have been me. Yep. Yeah. Did you see? Did, I, I know you don't have time to watch movies, but did you see Clint Eastwood's Mule? Oh sure, it was, absolutely. Did, didn't you actually root for him as? A, yeah, and we know he's absolutely. doing bad things. But I loved him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's the it's the same. It's the same with Walter. You know, you 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 understand why he made that choice, and it, it, given that, what would you do? You have no health insurance, or you, you, you it's running out. You have nothing, and you you know you're gonna your family's gonna end up with nothing. Your kid's gonna get no education. Where's the line? Yeah. At what point do you step across it? Yeah. And I think this that setting up that moral uh, dilemma is is the key to it all, and that's what keeps you engaged all the way through. It's, it's fantastic. Walter White, you know, good intentions. There you go. Yeah, yeah. look where that went, right? Um, a, yeah. few, a few last questions as we're getting down to the uh, top of the hour. This is a question from uh, Zoko Santos, and I love the Lego games. He, he's asking, uh, are you excited for the new Lego Star Wars game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love what Lego does with games. I actually directed Lego Batman 3 Beyond Gotham, and I got to direct a, a game called Lego Dimensions, which was a, a, a big game, uh, with Gary Oldman as my lead villain, who was so incredible to work with. I can't tell you, he was just the most phenomenal. He's he's my kind of example when when you know when stars and they can be grumpy and shitty sometimes. <laughs> uh, when they are, I think I always think. Listen, Gary Oldman walked into this studio and said, "What can I give you?" And 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 w- just tell me everything you need. I will give you everything you need and more. And I was like, I'm always like, if he could do it, you could probably do it too. Um, 
the great thing about Lego games is that they're, they're, they're wonderful adventures for kids, but they're superb adventures for adults. They're written in a very clever way in which both adults and kids can enjoy them together. And I think that, and with when you've got a franchise as unifying as Star Wars, you've got gold. Yeah. They're super fun. I, you nail it when you said uh, made for the adults and the kids as well too because there's always just like just like the animated movies you know there's always an adult reference in there bit of keep, adult humor in there yeah. yeah to keep us you it's know great. you know without alienating kids you know without alienating either side they incorporate both sides in a very clever way and I yeah. think it's very much you know that's what they drive at and they, they achieve it it's great it goes right yeah, over the kids Lego heads games. and we're sitting there over there chuckling you know but yeah I've spent many many hours on the Lego games for sure uh, Indiana Jones and, and Star Wars and things like that as well too. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. here, here, this is a good question. So we always wonder, like, a, you know, whether it's a song, a, 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 the song that you wish you wrote, or, or so. Here's a question from Max O'Brien: Says, is there any job that you wish you'd gotten in the past? You're like, oh, I wish I could have got that game, or is is there one that that you can talk about that you wish would have got a gig? Oh God, there's no, there's not. There's hundreds. <laughs> there's hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. Uh, I think yeah, yeah, the only way you can, you know, the only way you can really think of this is that you, the, the, your favorite job is the one you haven't had yet. Sure. And I and and I think um, I think that keeps it real and in perspective. I don't. I'm not someone who likes to live in regret and go, God, you know, I was so funny because I've had too many of those. I've been in rooms with Spielberg. I've, I've been close to the to the to the big cherry. Um, those opportunities don't come up as often as they used to, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think all actors have been in that place. And I think Brian talked extensively about this uh, in terms of, you know, just, just patient, just, just be patient. Don't quit. Keep going, do the best work, worry about what's on the page in front of you. Um, there are certain franchises that I would love to be, but I mean, you know, I've been, I've been able to play Bane in Batman telltale games and, and in the Arkham franchise. Um, I, Apex Legends is a is a is a golden goose. It's amazing, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's a huge it's a huge 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 uh, job for me. So I, I try not to think that way. Yeah. I always try and look forward and think, you know, okay, what's next? Um, and uh, otherwise, I think you could spiral pretty quick, yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. quickly because there isn't an actor on this planet that hasn't missed lots of jobs that they would like to have done. You strike me as a as a person too that if you had a colleague and maybe you're both vying for the same gig and maybe one of your colleagues that you're friends with got it, you strike me as a type of person to be like, you meant fantastic, you know, let's go out for a beer and celebrate or whatever. Like, no, said, no, no, I'm going to knife him in the throat. <laughs> well, there's that prison experience, no. right? But the bar is so bright. But this is what this is something I do want to say about the voice over community is that that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. right? And and my biggest competitors are also my best friends. We all came up in this industry together. Um, so for instance, Fred Tanishaw, Fred Tanishaw, I could never be Fred Tanishaw, but we are always up for the same things. And most of the time he gets it. And sometimes I do. We couldn't be happier for each other. We're very close friends. We, we have dinner together all the time. Um, I get to work with them all the time. And if I'm unavailable, there are five people that I would immediately recommend and they would immediately recommend me as well. And so, it's a really supportive industry in in that sense, which is something that, you know, it's a little harder on camera. On camera, people are more paranoid about the way they look. They've got more to protect. You know, uh, those, those big jobs are really, really big. You know, no one's going to be a millionaire from a video game role. Um, but but the the ethos of that side of the industry is is mutually supportive. And that's true of directors, actors, everyone involved. Because it's a difficult thing to do, and when an industry is hard, it's not like, you know, it, it is a more it's a more technically difficult job, and I think 
you can only relate to someone who's been in there, who's been in, and I think that's why I'm I'm having some success as a director is because I've I've been through everything they could go through in the booth, and they know I've got their back. Because ultimately, happy, productive people produce happy, correct, productive work. They sure. produce great work. Um, people who are who are miserable and paranoid, I don't think I don't think produces as great work. And it's another thing I'd say, I'd say about better calls. You know, I've worked on a lot of shows, probably thirty TV shows. There are miserable sets and there are happy sets. And and Breaking Bad from the from day one, because of who was at the top, because of Brian, Aaron, and Jonathan, that top team and Anna too, the, you know, trickle down. It, it was a, a unique, a unique uh, set in which everyone, everyone involved, down to the, the the smallest PA, knew that they were involved in something very, very special. And I was constantly treated with respect and and uh, looked after very, very well. And that's it's rare that that happens. And so, uh, you know, it, it's one of the greatest experiences of my career. Well, that's fantastic. And that applies to anything in life, too. I mean, happy, happy people produce happy, you know, results. You, you can you can tell right away when you can go get a hamburger, you get a hamburger and you can tell that person uh, just lost someone in their family or they're divorced. It's like, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for this person that just made my burger. Instead of being mad about the burger, you're like, their life must be horrible. Look what they did. But something they must have gone through something great. Yeah. 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 Now again, it's my it's my my philosophy again. The world needs empathy. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, it's understanding that's going to get us through. That's right. A question, for, a super chat question from Richard O'Brien. Can you? We talked about Mark Hamill earlier, uh, but he's asking, uh, can you name some of your other career influences? People that really uh, inspired you uh, throughout. Maybe maybe in, in games and um, possibly on, on screen as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are so many actors that I uh, I've admired over the years. You know. Uh, uh, Gary Oldman has, has obviously been one, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I was a huge uh, Richard Burton fan. I was a huge, uh, you know, the, the I, I got to work with. Um, oh, for God's sake, uh, on the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Richard, and I'm being so crazy. Irish actor, anyway. Mm-hmm. The, you know those great actors. I went to drama school at the Royal Academy. Their legacy is everywhere. It's all around you. And so you can't help but be inspired by them. Uh, I, I was, uh, you know, the, the greats, Jack Nicholson, mm. Dustin Hoffman. You know, Dustin Hoffman came to my drama school and talked to us. And I was just blown away by his approach and his sensitivity and his, you know, he was the one that really taught me that, about empathy as an actor. Um, I've got to read and, and do work with Al Pacino, who's an extraordinary actor, who has a whole different theory on, the great thing is that there's such a range of stuff that is available to you as an actor and such a range of methodologies and choices that people make. Al's thing is that everyone has this contained actor, this contained anger inside them. Yeah. And that, that that's what he's, he's constantly working against that. And then when it blows out, it really blows out. Um, and, and, and so yeah, there's a million different influences. And I, you know, I also don't think you should ever be afraid of watching and, stealing and, and learning you know watching other actors is a great way to, to figure it out um and you understand just just the way in which they interpret things the gentleness of touch you know whatever it might be um when i first heard mark do the joker of course it was incredibly inspirational and kevin doing batman too yeah that was a that, that's a pairing that really was kind of one in a million in a million magical and so you you always look up to those people 
I'm really glad you mentioned Al Pacino because if, if I had to pick one actor, I, mean, I have I have a nice list of favorite actors, uh, uh, male and female, but Al Pacino will be my top number one. If I could only have one actor left to watch, you know, his work, and Scarface is is so so close to my heart. And it was when we I had Stephen Bauer, uh, Don Eladio, I had him on the show yep. here back probably a good few months ago. And I, I don't fanboy out when I do these shows. I mean, I, I respect my guests. I respect you. I love your work. But I, I, I get that stuff into, into check. I Once I hang up the show and I say goodnight to you, then I go fanboy. I'm like, oh, my God, I just talked to J.B. Blanc, right? You know, but on camera, I'm keeping my <laughs> you shit together. You need to together. raise your bar a little high. Yeah, well, I, I keep my shit together while I'm talking to you. But having Stephen Bauer on the show, you know, Manny from Scarface, I was like, wow, yeah. you know, and I still kept it together. But it was tough. You know, that, that's yeah. great. But here's the thing with Al as well is that it's hit and miss. You know, he's not he's not always going to be fantastic. He's gone through periods of his career where there was bad choices, which we all make. And But he's always committed. He's always risky. And it's always interesting to watch. And it's, it's dangerous to watch. Mm-hmm. That's something I think you, you aspire to as an actor because that living that close to the edge is always fascinating, fascinating to watch. It's rare that you get the opportunity to play roles like that. You know. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's a lot of actors like uh, Keanu, Keanu Reeves, right? I mean, some of the things he's done is phenomenal, but there's been some, you know, but it's choices, right? We don't know. We don't know when we make them. It's sometimes like I say, I, I they were recording Cyberpunk 77 when, in, when, oh, 27, when, I, when I was recording with the same studio I record Fortnite at. And uh, so I got to meet him a couple of times huh. again. And literally one of the most and then if you if you do your research on Keanu Reeves, you realize what an amazing human being he is. I'll forgive him any acting crimes. I don't care. We've all committed them. I was in Garfield the Taylor Two Kitties, don't tell anyone. Um but 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 you know, he gives away like ninety percent of his income to philosophical uh, needs and 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 is one of the most generous people you could ever wish to meet. And uh, I got to stand in a in a room and drink coffee and talk motorbikes with him, which is amazing. Oh my God, it's fantastic. He's one of those guys that I we can safely say, it, there's a few people like him, there's a lot of people like him, but we use him as an example that we're never going to see a TMZ dun, 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 and you're going to see something really bad about Keanu Reeves. It's just like, you're not going to see that. Right. Nope. Even when he, when nope. he, when he does uh, photos, especially with women, he'll put his arm around them without even touching them. It's a hover. Yep. And it just yep. respect. Just a respectful human being. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's great. That's, well, as, as we get ready to wrap up here, a lot of fans like to know this, and I'm, I'm asking personally myself as well, too. Um, you know, you talked earlier about being a fan of, of the Gilliverse, Breaking Bad, and, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't come in right off the pilot or anything like that. So uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the audition process? Uh, sometimes uh, some of these characters and actors will apply for something else. They audition for something else. They get something else. Um, tell, tell us your involvement and how you, uh, you became part of it. Uh, I can't remember. Whether I'd done some auditions for Sherry... Thomas and Sharon Bialy before and uh, they, we kind of started a relationship and it just sort of came out of the blue and you know it's it's it, it's a tricky one because um, I, don't, I don't know if I would get cast as that character now um, I have a lot of Latino friends who are actors I've always been felt slightly guilty because I've played a number of Latino roles uh, my family are from the southwest of France which literally borders Spain about a hundred miles away um, that's that's where my, my heritage is. So I've kind of thought, well, can I kind of go to where that? I don't think I can anymore. Um, and so it was a surprise that I got considered. My Latino friends who, are, who are, are actors have always said, listen, if you're the best man for the job, then it's a done deal. We don't care. So that's very generous of them. Um, 
but there are roles now that I will turn down as a result. So it just kind of came out of the blue. And when I read it, you know, there's just some roles that you just go, I think I know who this guy is. I think it just fits. And it doesn't happen often. Often you're trying to search. And, and, and I think as an actor, often you're trying to second guess what they're looking for. And I think that's dangerous. I think you have to just worry about what you're, you know, I used to get sides and go, oh, well, he kisses the girl. It's, they're not going to cast me. They want a young, handsome dude. Um, and 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 then the switch came and it was like, okay, well, what's JB's angle on this? What What is my take on this character? And I think that is a great way of actors being able to assume that power because really the casting have a problem and you, you're the, you want to be the solution. It's not a test. You're not going to let yourself down unless you don't do the work. And I went in and I could see that they were vibing off it immediately. And I just, it just fit. I don't know why it just, it's very hard to explain, but it was one of those ones this time that, that just fit. They also cast Barry and I was auditioning for something else. And she said, Oh, listen, can you come back in a couple of days? Cause there's something else for in this in Barry. And I said, I can't, I'm directing. How long have you got? She said, well, I've got lunch in about 15 minutes. I said, well, listen, give me 10 minutes with the sides. And and I'll, and I'll just have a look. And because of voice acting, thank God, I'm very I've become very good at quickly kind of scanning scripts and making choices. And then because in in video games you don't get the scripts until you walk into the studio. Oh. Very rarely do you get the scripts before you walk in to record. When I did Bane, I didn't know what character I was playing, what game I was doing. When I walked in that studio for the first session, you're now Bane. And in ten minutes, I had to make a decision, some choices about the characters with that team that were gonna, that I was going to play for the next year. Wow. So it's it's that's very intimidating to most actors. Yeah. You know, you have zero time. I find it, and I'm kind of twisted in this, that I find it incredibly liberating <laughs> because I've had to do it. You know, that's been acting off the back foot has been my career. And so I, I made some very specific choices. He was on the phone. I decided that he'd just come in from Chechnya and he was he, he couldn't get his watch to work. So I did the whole phone call going, Barry, you know, you have really disappointed the family. And uh, I don't know if, if you understand how crazy you're being right now but it gave me something to play i made very quick choices and again it was one of those things that just kind of fit so you never know i've done i've done reams of auditions for one role that i never got yeah you know? and uh, it, you just don't know but but the doctor that doctor just kind of i just kind of knew him i knew where he was at um and i hope i did him justice you know well, it's fantastic. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up the casting directors too. As we wrap up here, I was telling you off the air as well. Uh, I, I want to get some of their staff on as well too. I mean, I'm a big Walking Dead fan, and they work in the Walking Dead realm as well too. Uh, but there's there, these characters that we don't necessarily always see, and then we're going to be talking about hearing. I mean, so so kudos to the casting directors for bringing this the, the talents like yourself and all these other great characters. But also the music, like Dave Porter, I know what he does. I mean, it's it's a character in itself. Brian Cranston has said personally that Dave Porter's music is a character. And tomorrow we're going to be having uh, one of his colleagues, uh, Thomas, from Super Music Vision on the show. And picking all the, the great, great music that's made the show so good as well, too. So we'll be looking forward to that. Fantastic. For, yeah. Yeah, this, the sound of Breaking Bad is... Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> and, and, and Better Call Saul, it's like that... It's just that... Yeah, that dry desert guitar that just feels right. It it's, just feels right as a guitar player. You Very get clever. it. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. also, you know, I, I do want to put in a word in for Sherry Thomas and Sharon Bialy. They are two of the best casting directors I've ever seen in the industry. They're at the top of their game. They do Handmaid's Tale. They do. I mean, 
The work they're producing is phenomenal. And I have to say that because they keep casting me in lovely roles. So, yeah. no, I, I genuinely, I genuinely, genuinely am uh, a huge fan of their work in just as a fan of TV. Yeah. Because I, the stuff I see, I'm always blown away by what they do. So, I want to invite them yeah. on. I think the fans would love to have them. You, you should. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. They, they would. I mean, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, you should try. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air, um, but I just want to mention a few other thanks uh, as well, too. So first of all, thank you, especially for making this happen. Uh, we had to reschedule, but I appreciate that. You can't you can't fix My technology, pleasure. right, when it goes down. We lost internet there. But I wanted to say a big thank you to our executive producer, Sandra Lee, for everything she does. Our show sponsors, uh, Warren and Rachel at bobbleheads.com. also like to thank all of our channel members, our Patreon supporters. I do have to look at a list on this. Channel moderators, our YouTube subscribers, our Super Chatters, our PayPal donators and those that purchase our merch like I'm wearing right here from the Broadstash Boutique. You can get yourself a coffee mug and this one happens to have some Gatorade in it. Uh, the Gatorade does not come included. Uh, and uh, if this is your first time checking out our channel, please consider hitting that subscribe button down below. We will work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as we did to get you. And uh, tune, in to, tune in tomorrow, a special time, Saturday evening at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Thomas does uh, podcasts like on this time right now tonight, so that's why he couldn't make it, so we're doing special time. Check us out at Instagram and Facebook at Inside the Gillivers, and we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Hard to say, hard to believe we're doing it tomorrow night. JB, don't go away. I say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, have a fantastic evening, and uh, be safe out there, and uh, we'll see you real soon. Until next time, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gillivers with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.